Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, I'm so happy you're here to listen to today's interview with Deepika Maheta. She is a wonderful and inspiring woman who has achieved so much in her years. She's overcome great obstacles and has been in the forefront of the yoga, fitness, and wellness industry in India since 2001. She's very inspiring and motivational and a great teacher of Ashtanga Yoga. She has actually had several television shows in India like Yoga City, Good Times, Tata Sky, uh, and The Biggest Loser. She has been featured in various publications in India as well, in Vogue and Elle magazine, and she's been even on the cover of India Today. She's given a TED Talk at the UN headquarters in New York City, and she's just a wonderful, beautiful being to be connected with and to listen to. And she's also a new mother, having her child, her beautiful daughter, at the age of 42. She's entering into a whole new phase of life and growth and development. And we're just delighted that she's here to share her wisdom with us today and her life experience. And I know you're going to find everything she has to say and how she speaks about yoga working in her life. Uh, to be very inspiring and I hope that it empowers young women everywhere to follow their dreams and to listen to their true self, to connect deeply with where their authentic being is leading them and to have courage not to be afraid to follow their, their passion and to live a life that is beyond what they could have even possibly imagined. So uh, here she is without uh, waiting any longer. I know you're going to love this interview with Deepika. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony show podcast. Let's do a take two. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, keep going. It's fine. (laughs) Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Harmony, and I'm here with Russell Kay. Hello, everyone. I'm so pleased to be here with you. And our special guest, our special friend today is Deepika Maheta. Did I say it right, Deepika? I didn't say <laughs> yeah. it right that time, did I? Right, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> Deepika, um, I'm always so delighted to be near celebrity in any form. <laughs> Uh, today, yes, today we have uh, on the show the master trainer from India's The Biggest Loser. <laughs> and uh, Deepika, um, it's really incredible. It's, celebrity is this wonderful thing. It's like taking darshan, don't you think? <laughs> when you see them, it's like, it's like the, the Lord of, of Light is revealed to you. It's like, <gasps> a famous person. <laughs> I feel the same around you guys. Ah. <laughs> Not at all. But we were we were chatting about this, and maybe you are the most famous yogini practitioner in India. What do you think? Um, I don't know how many. You know, like, firstly, this word celebrity or 
like even worse the word influencer is like it makes me cringe a little bit yeah um yeah i i don't know about and and also like i said to you guys before i don't know any more like what sometimes i question what the definition of yoga is um you know it's so much more than just then what i guess for me now it's a lot more than what i used to think it was so yeah maybe in the physical sense in the new age sense in the younger uh, kind of lot maybe i am quite um, popular in india yeah i guess more popular would be the right word yeah um yeah could there be sometimes a more... it's a bit embarrassing though maybe because popular might also mean that it could be flaky for some people but oh. you know I, i i hope that that's not the case is it is it possible that there's there's anyone as a far as an asana female yeah. yoga teacher i mean could there be someone more famous than you <laughs> i mean you know there was a lot of beautiful amazing yo- yoga practitioners at the same time as in there were there's taran there's maya there's a lot of um, I guess all of us started out at the same time but I had the I don't know whether it's my destiny sometimes I question it but I did do a lot of things um I've taught a lot of bollywood actors that kind of made me get a lot of press mm-hmm. and I did television shows so yeah I guess you know in that sense I I did get quite famous with all of that I got a lot of press coverage with that stuff I did I saw something on your website that said that you were on the cover of of Vogue India maybe the cover I'm not sure. Uh no th- I wasn't on the cover I was uh, featured in in a few articles yeah in Vogue magazine as you were one of the three women redefining beauty. <laughs> not anymore for sure after having a baby. <laughs> Um, oh, no, I think you're radiant. There was, <laughs> there was an article where it was uh, redefining what the aesthetics, um, you know, of beauty are. And uh, in India, I guess the perception of beauty has been slightly different. And now, you know, having being muscular and strong is is something that people are also perceiving as beautiful. So, in that sense, it it was an article about that. It's so interesting. Uh, I really I want to talk with you more about what all of that means and what is beauty. Um what does it mean to be a loser, which is something I think I could be very good at. Um but I I first I want to know um and I think our listeners probably want to know as well how how did all of this happen? I mean, did you fall you fell you fell off a rock or something? Yeah. Yeah, I did. uh had an accident i think it was back in 20 um i mean it was in 98 um i was very interested in mountaineering and rock climbing and i had just done this course which was um you know i was really very passionate about it so i done a course which is a professional mountaineering course and um i was bouldering and uh, i fell off a rock it was a very high rock I, it was around 40 feet and i broke a lot of bones in my body and back then in india you know it was not the surgery and physiotherapy was not as advanced as probably in the rest of the world and in india now so it took me a long time to recover and i was on a wheelchair and all of that so you, yeah you i guess that's where yeah i was in india yeah were you like in hampi or some place like that or where were you no 
I was in the Himalayas, like up in the north. Oh my goodness! Oh my gosh! And do you yeah. do you remember the moment there was a mistake? You know, it's so strange. This is something which is kind of, you know, I've always had this immense belief in God, right? I mean, it sounds funny and it sounds cheesy and sounds a bit strange, but since I was very young, I've always had a very, very strong belief that God has my back. It's so strange. It sounds so childish. No, but, that sounds beautiful. <laughs> and I remember as a kid, like, you know, being on a swing and praying and talking to God and all of this funny stuff. But also back then when I climbed that rock, it was, um, I didn't really have gear. I didn't, I was not wearing the right shoes. I didn't have any ropes, nothing at that moment. So I climbed up this rock and then I was finding it very hard to come down. And I remember just praying to God saying, please, like whatever happens, just take care of me. And um, so I fell off and I remember clearly in that moment, just I, right now it's a story because it was so long back, but I remember in that moment that it was quite a, like for a long time, I couldn't believe that I was, you know, I'd broken so much. Like it was literally like my arm, like everything was just broken. So it was, I guess it was a moment of shock. Yeah. It, it must've been hard to get out of the Himalayas too. I had a friend who was with me. Uh, it was not so high up and it was accessible. So, you know, he was able to help me a lot and stuff like that. And then they got me to hospital. Um, but wow. the first, I remember the first few hours, I was just thinking it was a joke and I was not really, I guess I was really in shock. I was thinking it's all just really funny and I was making jokes about it and stuff like that. Uh, but eventually the pain didn't sink in straight away. It was more the, after a few hours, it just sank that I'm not going to be able to move for a long time, you know, because my, wow. my foot was like broken, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So that was more the, the feeling of like, oh my God, I'm going to be trapped. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's incredible. We had Tim Feldman on the show recently and you, you know, you two have that in common. He just slipped and he fell off yeah. a rock and fell 40 yeah. feet and thus his yoga journey began. Yeah. It's incredible. And so you were there and the doctors told you that you wouldn't walk again, as I understand. I mean, it's a bit dramatic. Um, and like I said, back then in India, everything was very, um, there was not such advanced like medical you know, surgery, first of all, mm -hmm. uh, and also like physiotherapy was not so good. I think if that the same thing had happened now, it wouldn't have been so dramatic. But back then, yeah, I remember asking the doctor, I was like, when am I going to be able to like move again? And he was like, um, you'll be able to walk in a bit, like very hesitant. <laughs> oh, no. oh my God. Like, no, I want to dance. I want to, you know, climb. I want to trek. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was pretty intense. And mm. how old were you when this happened? Were you pretty young? I think I was 21. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So like you have a lot of, a lot of moving to do still. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I was a very restless person. So it was like very difficult to be told that you know, you can't move because it was pretty much my left entire left side was in oh. a cast. Oh my gosh. And how strange that your daughter is just the same, huh? <laughs> she is, you know, I, Mark and me laugh about this. We're like, this is our karma. <laughs> she, 
she cannot be still she loves to move mm. and the two of yeah. you love to move mm. too, <laughs> even yeah. now us together exactly exactly yeah. whenever i'm doing my pull-ups in the garage i think of mark every time yeah <laughs> <laughs> you, yogi you know, sylvester stallone yes <laughs> <laughs> well, yogi van damme Yogi Van Dam. Yeah, that's good. That's fantastic. I'm I'm curious though. You're in the you're you're recovering. Did you think at, yeah. at a certain point that the physiotherapy was not going to be enough, and you needed to try? You needed to do something more extreme. And how, did you think that maybe yoga was that thing? You know, actually, at that moment, in the beginning, I didn't even have physiotherapy at all. I've actually never really had proper physiotherapy for my, you know, from the, especially for my ankle. Mm -hmm. um, it was more because back in that day, I mean, I really have no idea how this works now. But back in that day, I was just asked to be to rest mm -hmm. and be on a wheelchair. So it meant just like spending a lot of time just lying down. Pretty much mm. for six months, I was just on bed. Even, you know, I had bedpan and stuff like that. Wow. Even to go to the toilet was like, you know, like I had bedpan. It was pretty intense. Yeah. Uh, that bit was very difficult for me because, you know, I was in college. All the rest of my friends were pursuing, you know, they were studying. They were going to be pursuing their careers. And like suddenly I didn't have any friends. I was right. just on a bed. You know, I felt like everything else, everybody else was going to be moving was going to be, you know, going ahead and I'd be left behind kind of thing. Mm. So that whole thing and plus facing your mind, you know, like till then I'd been a very restless person, not restless, I would say like a normal young person mm. doing a lot of things, you know. And also I even back then I used to love moving a lot. So just having to do nothing, just lie down and face your mind. That was very difficult. That was mm. really what like I was like, I need to find an answer. I have to do something about this myself. So I remember reading, you know, books on, I don't even know how, but I found this book, Autobiography of a Yogi. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, by Paramahansa Yogananda. Yeah, yeah. And also books on pranic healing, which is like similar to Reiki. And mm -hmm. it just kind of set off a way of thinking in my head. And I was like, this is something that could work, you know, energy and manifestation and all of that kind of stuff. That's so interesting because when we spoke to Tim, it seemed that for him, what the, the motivation was, was to be able to make his body move correctly. But mm. from what I'm hearing from you, it was, what can I do with this restless mind that won't stop moving? Um, more like it, I mean, that bit was in the background. What was really the more, you know, um, motivating factor was that I want to move. I want to have hope. That's mm -hmm. the main thing. Uh, you know, to feel hopeless. Mm -hmm. I had that moment there. Like there was, I remember, I still remember lying in bed and feeling no reason to want to wake up because there was nothing to do except lie all day long, you know. So that was like, like that feeling of hopelessness and helplessness. So for me, it was like trying to find a way to find hope and believe again. Mm -hmm. You know, if I can word it back then, what my feelings were, of course, it was more abstract, but that was really what I really felt. Like I was like, I need to be able to find some way to help myself. 
And did that start to evolve into a, a sitting practice or into asanas? How did that start? Mm, it was very bizarre. So firstly, it started with, before that, I was taking a lot of jazz ballet uh, lessons, not ballet, but jazz ballet, mm -hmm. which is more like a popular modern version. Mm. Um, and I remember like, I would just play music and I was like, you know, it's like, okay, I need to find a way to whatever move. And my I remember I was pretty much alone because even though I was with my family, I think my parents were working and like, I would be spending a lot of the day by myself and uh, my friends were uh, in Delhi and I was in, a, in, in the South where my parents live. So also I didn't have any friends. Um, I would just play music and I'd be sitting in bed and I'd just move only my, the right side of my body because my left was all in a cast. Mm -hmm. So it started with just moving, like I would be dancing with just the right side of my body. It was very funny. <laughs> while and you were in the bed. I, yeah, while I was sitting in bed, not being able to move my left side at all, pretty much. Wow. Um, and then, you know, then the book, basically both of those books, like Pranic, I did a course, I think, in Pranic Healing. And both of those, uh, you know, have very similar aspects of energy and miracles and manifestation and all of that stuff and it started off more with that concept for me rather than an, uh, like a proper asana practice so it was more like the idea that you know we have the power if you really believe in it mm -hmm. and you know our thoughts are much more powerful and you know all of that stuff Eventually, as I got a little bit more mobility, which was, I think, after six months, that is when I kind of started doing a little bit more, like what, what you could call off as a basic asana, very simple, just one side moving, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And you felt that was um, a direction you wanted to go to, say, less so than, you know, you could have gone and, and studied jazz ballet, maybe more intensively. Yeah, I mean, that was not an option at that moment, because literally I was, uh, you know, six months on a wheelchair, the, the next few months with a crutch. Um, yeah. Basically, it took me two years to be able to just walk. So, yeah, that was the jazz ballet was I felt like that, that would never happen. Mm -hmm. hmm. Or at least in that moment, no, that was not an option. It was just like whatever, even just walking was like huge. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. It really makes you grateful for being oh, you healthy. Know, <laughs> I can't tell you, you know, I'm very passionate about uh, hiking, like mm -hmm. trekking, not trekking so much, but just hiking. And even now, like a few years back, I remember, uh, you know, I had a brief, like a very small fall, maybe like a few eight, nine years back. And uh, the surgeons had a look at my MRI of the ankle and they were like, oh, no, no this is really bad. You're going to have to have an ankle replacement and wow. you shouldn't be doing much and this and that. And I remember it really affected me. And I was in Australia at that time. And um, literally for a few you know, weeks, I was just lying in bed and I got really sad. And I was supposed to teach a retreat after, a, I think, a month later or two months later in the Himalayas, where it, which was about trekking and yoga, hiking and yoga. Mm -hmm. And Eventually, I was like, no, I have to get out of this way of thinking. And when I came back, uh, when I came back to India and I did the retreat, just being able to walk, I was like every moment saying, feeling so much gratitude for that. 
And mm-hmm. so for me, it's something that I don't take for granted, you know, mainly walking more than asana is like walking and dancing because those are the two things which I was told I wouldn't be able to do. So mm-hmm. that's something that every time I trek in the mountains, I feel so much gratitude mm-hmm. because it's something that I can't take for granted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And what you do in your practice is also very incredible. Coming from you, that's a lot, Harmony, because I've seen your practice in the Shala and like been astounded watching you. So, you know, like that means a lot for me. And so how, so what city are you in now? You're two years away from your injury. What city in India are you living in? Are you in Mumbai? Um, My live in a city of which we are right now, we're here right now. It's a city called Hyderabad in the south. Oh, Hyderabad, in a, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you said that so well, Russell. Oh, Perfect. thank you very much, madam. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we were, I, I was in Hyderabad back then. And then eventually uh, I, you know, went, my parents also had a house in Dehradun, which is up in the north. Oh, so I then I went Dehradun. to Dehradun. Yeah, I love it because I, I did a, a brief part of my schooling there. Uh, I went to a boarding school in Dehradun. Mm. So um, mm. eventually we went there and then I would start like found my way to Rishikesh when Rishikesh was like nothing, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, in the sense of it, it wasn't like the yoga capital of India, like how it is now. <laughs> yeah. So eventually I found my way to Rishikesh and, you know, I guess my whole journey started then. Then I went to Kerala and then eventually to Mysore and all of that. Who, who was in Kerala that you discovered? Um, so this is like right 2001 or something. No, not much internet. And, you know, yeah. the only way to figure out where to go would be by reading a book. Yeah. And so I remember one of those books which gave you all the base good yoga schools in India. And so I went to the Shivananda Yoga Center in Kerala. Sure. It was very beautiful. It, I had, I mean, I still have such fond memories of that time. Um, and I did it, eventually I did a teacher training there, you know, like very simple. I know this word teacher training is quite like, now it's a bit whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but back, <laughs> it was like, it was like really sweet, you know, it was like really a beautiful immersion into a yogic life and very sincere, you know, very, very sweet. There was a lot of focus on meditation, pranayama, hatha yoga and uh, karma yoga. And, um, you know, it was very beautiful. I had a very nice time. So, yeah, eventually I was there and that's where I found somebody. I saw somebody doing Ashtanga and I was like, oh, my God, what is that practice? Mm-hmm. And then they me about you know Mysore and eventually I landed up there do you remember who that person was no you know it was so strange it was uh so you know back then it was a very different scene in India there was not too many modern young Indians doing yoga it was more like if you went to these kind of yoga schools there was people from all over the world very few Indians Mm -hmm. and um there was like I think it was an Israeli person like a you know, Israeli backpacker or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, uh, so I saw him practicing and it would it was so beautiful because it was in like Kerala back then in that center, Shivananda was very like a jungle, very simple, mm-hmm. not very developed and all of that. And you could hear elephants in the morning. And I remember one time, I think we heard like a tiger 
was oh quite mm. wild. So it was really like a jungle. And then watching somebody moving in this kind of an environment, it was just beautiful. It was just very simple. I think they, like an Israeli guy doing yoga and I mean, doing the Ashtanga primary series. So yeah, it was quite fascinating in that space to watch. Do you think when you first saw it, did you recognize it as yoga? Or did you think that maybe it was something that the Westerners had come up with? No, actually, back then when I watched it, it really did look like what my perception of yoga was because I was looking for something which had a sense of flow. Mm. Um, I've always, um, you know, like this, I have always loved the zone of the flow, mm-hmm. the flow, whatever it's called. I've, I think I've always seeked that state where, you know, you go into a state where you're, um, you know, you go into a subconscious state of mind where your body takes over and your mind kind of shuts down. And for me, I've always found I can go into a state of, I don't know what the word would be. I'm still trying to find the right word, but like a more trance-like state Mm -hmm. where you're not in your like conscious mind. Uh, And that's why I guess I've always been very attracted to trekking or hiking or dance states, which take me into that kind of state of mind where um, I'm not thinking so much anymore. And so when I watched this person, it looked like that kind of a state, like a state of trance and that was beautiful so I I didn't have any judgments about what yoga should look like and what it shouldn't look like back then it was more like a natural mind Mm -hmm. Um, you know not tainted with too much information Mm -hmm. and uh, so when I watched this person I was just like wow that is so beautiful that is what I want to really learn because I love the Shivananda style a lot but you would do something and then you do Shavasana and then again you do like a few poses and again do Shavasana Mm-hmm. which was nice but it was not like satiating my um desire for movement enough yeah it's just exactly how i practice now though so <laughs> and i just like to lie yeah. down quite a bit um i want to i want to ask you um just a little bit about your family because i want to i want to f- find out just where you're at culturally when you enter the 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 Mysore room in in, uh, yeah. in in Mysore, your your family name it's Mehta. Mehta, we are Punjabis. Mehta. A lot of people think it's Gujarati, but it's Punjabi. Mm-hmm. My father is one fourth Sikh. You know Sikh, the one people who wear the mm-hmm. turban. Yeah, with the knives. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And his mom was. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Guru Nanak. Yeah. He's the, like, yeah, exactly. In the whole uh, Sikh tradition, he's the main teacher. And so my uh, grandmother was from that lineage, mm-hmm. which is apparently a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm one, I am Punjabi, like North Indian, but I grew up most of my life in the South. So I don't, I don't have much identification with being a North Indian and all of that. Oh. I th- I've I heard that Mahita means great. Mahita. <laughs> yeah. I don't think this Mahita means great. Oh, okay. Okay. It's a different, <laughs> different. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't mind if it meant great though. Yeah. I mean, that's good. Okay. I and, visited the Golden Temple once up there. It's so mm, beautiful. It is very beautiful. Yeah. It's very beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. The most amazing experience actually with the prayers like mm. 21 hours a day or something. It's a lot of hours of 
yeah but it's open they beautiful. only close for short time and it's yeah incredible. it's a very beautiful tradition yeah mm-hmm. how did your your folks come to live in Hyderabad how did they they get down there yeah so I mean my father's family was living in what is modern Pakistan which is Lahore mm-hmm. uh, and so when the partition happened my father I mean my father's family had to leave everything they owned they were very wealthy and they had to leave everything and come to India uh, to Uttar Pradesh which is in the north Mm -hmm. and so my father grew up there in Uttar Pradesh my mom has always been in Delhi Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, so my my father grew up in a very 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 small town like it's almost like it was almost like a village not a village but like a really small town very Mm -hmm. simple and he you know I mean I don't know he he's got uh, three brothers but he's he was very successful I think he's just very determined and he's got a very strong mind and so he eventually joined this company and uh, even you know he rose up very high in this company and had to come was tran- was uh, shifted to the south of India to a very small town called Vizag which is Vishakhapatnam mm-hmm. um and then eventually he left that job and kind of retired at the age of 40, which is amazing. And wow. then started. Yeah, I, my father's pretty much, you know, he's like a rock star. He used to love road trips and he's very simple when you meet him. But like, I'm, he's always, you know, done his own thing. He's been a rebe- rebel in his own way. Wow. Um, so, he, yeah, even though, I mean, he's very simple. Like if you meet him, he's very, very simple. And so he quit his job and moved to Hyderabad and started his own business. So we, I grew up pretty much a lot of my life here. And then I went to a boarding school eventually, which was again in the north. You, you described yourself as uh, like a, like a, a mod, like Tara or um, who was the other girl you met? She mentioned. Um, Taran and Maya. Yeah, Taran and Maya. And you. Um, I put the two words together. Um, yeah. You described yourself as a modern, uh, a modern Indian girl, a modern Indian woman who had showed up yeah. to Mysore. Do you feel that? Did you feel that there was something quite different about your generation of young people than to the older ones? That there were the modern was was very different. Yeah, I mean, there was not so many urban people that I really met back then in Mysore. You know, it was like. Um, I, I mean, I was there in 2001 or 2002 first time. So back then, it was more like very simple Indian people like, um, you know, from Mysore who were practicing. Yeah. And I didn't really meet anybody who was like a young person from a big city Yeah. or urban, you know. I mean, now Mysore is super urban, super hip. Yeah. But back then... It was very simple, right? It was a very simple, small town, which I loved, actually. I missed that old, simple, simplicity mm. so much. Um, but yeah, I didn't really meet anybody like who was from a big city, basically, or, or, or was urban, mm-hmm. you know? So when I showed up there, it was more... And also, I think but when I showed up, it was very rebellious people there. Like, I remember seeing all these people with tattoos and piercings and like... Yeah, it was punk. Or like... Yeah. yeah, it was very punk. And I was very attracted to that as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's why New York is so cool is because of the punk yeah. aesthetic is that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting because I, um, I think, I don't know, maybe 2004, I met yeah. my first 
modern Indian youth. Go ahead. Girl, yeah, I could say yeah. I want to say woman. Yeah. I suppose modern Indian. Woman. Yeah. It was this Bollywood girl. Um, I don't know if she's Bollywood or not, but she was a pole dancer, yeah. a rope dancer, yeah. and she was covered in tattoos. And yeah. she'd come down from Mumbai, and she would do like rope tricks at parties. And I would like, this is so different from the mm. girls that you see you know, in Mysore yeah. or in Gokulam. And it was like, this is a, she's almost coming from a different world. Mm. And I remember um, one day uh, I was in the foyer and Guruji was teaching and he was, he was doing Uttita Hasta with all of the students. And yeah. uh, I look over and I see this young, young Indian Bollywood girl mm -hmm. and she's wearing nothing, man. She's wearing like maybe a bra <laughs> or like a yeah. tank top, something, but like not yeah. much of it. Yeah. And she has like a little um, like thong. Yes. Short shorts. Yeah. Short, like thongy shorts. <laughs> yeah. And um, I remember Guruji kind of moved her leg over from one direction to the next. And I was like, oh my goodness, it's, it's a Bollywood beaver. Oh. <laughs> And she wasn't wearing, and I was like, this is, this is crazy. This is, yeah. like, this is the most crazy thing, especially having been in Mysore a couple of times. Like it was just so incredibly mm. conservative to see mm. someone like yeah. that. It was, it was, I thought there are different, it's a different universe. Yeah, you know, the thing with, and now India is changing a lot. Also, I think social media has a lot to do with it. Um, but because people are exposed to everything, you know, all kinds of uh, fashion and people are much more fashionable. Even if you go to a very, very small town, you see people wearing like whatever's in like trendy. Uh, but back then, you know, I, I, I think I'm pretty sure that girl wouldn't have liked. <laughs> OK, I won't get into the word Bollywood. But back then, I, you know, there's always been this other side. India is so layered. There's so many different layers. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's always been so many rebellious people like, you know, the girls, especially women, because there is a it's also a form of rebellion, you know, not just mm -hmm. attention or whatever, but it's also been a form of like rebellion, like going against what is the status quo and what like what is expected of an Indian woman. So I think that's been around for a long time. The United States isn't much different. You know, th there's a big conflict here between the rural conservative and the cities. Yeah. And that's really where the, where the country is. And it sounds I like think you're saying India, it's the same. Yeah, because it's such a strong patriarchy. Again, it's changing so much now, but I think, you know, subconsciously, we've just had so much patriarchy for so long. And so again, like I said, now it's changing a lot, but you know, women have always ex been expected to play a certain role even if they were going to the coolest, like the best universities, studying, get, got the best education, there was always this expectation of playing these roles, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's been this also, this very underlined thing of rebellion for a lot of Indian women, like wanting to really find themselves beyond what is expected of them. So that's been around for a long time. It's, it's also interesting that for a lot of, maybe you could speak to this harmony that it seemed like for a lot of the young Western girls who were coming to Gokulam, 
you yeah. could you could see that they were being groomed by the older mm. Indian mothers <laughs> about proper <laughs> behavior and etiquette yeah. and how to yeah. wear the sari and how yeah. to wear their hair and, and everything should be correct and how to be a good wife. Like Jaya yeah. is trying to teach you how to be a good wife. <laughs> but well, meanwhile, well, the Indian so girls are, are getting tattooed. Yeah, it was, I, I think, yeah, that was, it was funny. I remember that, um, you know, there was a lot of us who were definitely from um, the West who were in mm. Mysore at that time and, you know, trying to sort of align ourselves with these uh, very, you know, Indian traditional cultural values that very were conservative. being conservative, yes, being imposed upon us or oppressed upon us. <laughs> and yeah, then yeah. you and Taran and Maya were like out at the clubs dancing at night. <laughs> I, oh, I remember my first trip, like, I think it was 2001 or 2002. And like, uh, you know, Tariq from Brazil. Yeah. Yeah from Portugal he was one of my friends and like you know he was like a wild child right and yeah. I was there and then this other friend of mine called Mandira which I think is the one you're talking about Russell because she's a she does something called Malcolm which is like climbing um you know doing yoga on ropes yeah oh my and goodness I, yeah she's the one, the one that I saw too much of yeah so she yeah. was with me as well uh in 2001 or 2002 she's the other Indian girl who was there back then um mm. but eventually she you know took a different direction she didn't go so much into Ashtanga but she was my rebellious friend the other Indian crazy girl and I remember we'd go to parties and people would be of course expecting us as good Indian girls to be just sitting in the corner and having polite conversation and we were the two girls would be like raging and dancing like yeah. totally crazy and wild and like we I mean, I've never done any like never smoked pot never done pretty much I've been a good girl in that sense yeah uh but you know it's just I, like I said maybe it was some rebellious thing or you know just like Indian yeah of course there's this wild Indian girl there yeah, you you guys have the, that reputation of being wild, wild young yeah. Indian women. <laughs> yeah, from the big city, crazy and wild. Yeah, exactly. It's it seems yeah. like there's a there's a this um, dynamic you said there's conflict and like there patriarchy. Maybe mm. um, the Prime Minister Modi is a part of that of trying to control society oh, yeah. with Hindutva maybe. Do you, do you feel mm. like that's that's a pro, that's accurate? I mean, right now, yeah, that is pretty accurate. But mm. uh, back then, I mean, India has had this tradition of patriarchy for so long. It's so strange because, you know, all the goddesses in India are very empowered. Mm. Uh, if you look at Durga, uh, you know, strong woman, fierce, Kali, but then there's always been this expectation of Indian women uh, being ha having to become submissive, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. so there's always been that two parallels. Uh, mm -hmm. But if you go to the the you go to Calcutta, West Bengal, you know, like mm -hmm. during Durga Puja, women are like they get into a state of trance and they're dancing like crazy to supposedly take you know um, kind of in a state of trance, connected to the goddess or whatever. So there's this so many different parallel like you said Russell parallel universes in India all at the same time mm -hmm. but the patriarchy has been very strong and even 
I find that sometimes, I mean, it bothers me a lot because within my family sometimes as well, there's always a expectation that a woman should be a certain way, you know, mm-hmm. and a man is okay if he's a certain way. So for me, that's, you know, I've always had a, <laughs> I've always, it, it's something which even now I feel like I face. Yeah. Did, how did you, how do you see your family feel about Modi? Are they... They with him. Mm, that's a very controversial topic. I'm not so sure. <laughs> <laughs> my dad, like I said, my mom and my dad, even though they are, um, you know, they're pretty simple, but they've always been very uh, modern in their way of thinking. I mean, they've always supported me, number one, in everything I've done. Like, I was a hippie way before it was fashionable in India to be like, bohemian or whatever mm-hmm. and, and I've traveled by myself I've trekked I've gone to Nepal by myself trekking to Annapurna circuit with a backpack you know I'm talking ages ago when it was crazy in India it would not even be normal for a girl to travel by herself I've traveled all over the north whatever mm-hmm. and my parents have always supported everything I've done wow. uh, so my father and my mom both are very liberal in their way of thinking so yeah they don't really subscribe to this fundamentalist way of um, the present (laughs) scenario. Yeah, yeah. Did did you have a different life planned before all of this yoga stuff? Did you think that you you would do something else? Yeah, you know, I was in that very impressionable age where at that age, it was like, one part of me wanted to go to the, I was studying economics. So I was like, oh yeah, I want to go to the London School of Economics and Mm to become some kind of economist. And then there was another part of me who was like wanting to be a dancer. And, you know, it was that age where you're a bit impressionable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for sure, you know, I had, didn't have this as an option of being a yoga teacher, for sure, at mm-hmm. all. In fact, I remember telling my family when I came back from Kerala and telling them I want to be a yoga teacher. And my brother was like, what is wrong with you? Like, because in <laughs> India... You- would mean you would be wearing, you know, you'd have a very simple, what is called a jhola, like a really simple Indian bag across your chest. You'd be wearing a kurta, like you'd be very simple on a cycle going, bicycle going from home to home teaching. And, you know, like he was like, what is wrong with you? You're going to be a yoga teacher? Like he thought I'd lost, <laughs> yeah. lost my- Incredible. So after you spent time in Mysore, what happened? You left Mysore in 2001 and what what did you do for those few years after before coming back to Mysore yeah so I've had like a long journey lots of different things um, I guess as is everybody else but um, eventually I came to Bombay and I was teaching yoga like my own fusion style and um you know, with music and like, again, try, being rebellious again. Like, I think mm-hmm. that's been a thing in me all my life, being a rebel. And so I was teaching and I remember like, I mean, a lot of famous people started coming to my classes because again, it was very different back then. There was not so many people doing what I was doing. And Probably uh, very few people in India teaching yoga to music like that. Yeah, and also like a kind of Ashtanga-esque, Vinyasa-esque flow was yeah. very, very different. It was very yeah. unique. It sounds uh, very and- similar to me to, to the village in Manhattan where it's it was so different, so unique, and it was so cool yeah. that the celebrities yeah. came. 
Yeah, that's what ropes. happened actually. Yeah, I started yeah. teaching and it attracted a lot of uh, famous people to my classes. And, you know, then I it led to a lot of things. I was on the cover of a magazine. Um, I taught a lot of very, very famous, you know, super famous people, celebrities, actresses, etc. And then, you know, it just took off a different journey for me. It was amazing because I, I really did not have this planned. Um, and that's when I look back and I wonder, you know, if there's something called destiny or because it was not really what I had in, in mind, but it led one thing to another. And then um, then eventually I did come back to Mysore and I think in 2006 or seven or something like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so. Were your parents surprised that you were a yoga teacher, not like traveling on bicycle from house to house, but teaching celebrities in Bombay? Yeah, Mumbai. I, think <laughs> I was pretty surprised because Bombay back then, Mumbai, I mean, now Mumbai back then, Bombay was not an easy city to go to as a new person, you know, so it's a yeah. difficult city for some people to go, I guess, like New York, right? Um, yeah. To go to the city, have absolutely nobody that you know, um, but I was always attracted to Bombay because it was a city that for me, again, was one city where I saw Indian women like really being able to be who they wanted to be without mm-hmm. the baggage of where they come from, which family, what bag, what shoes, what car, blah, 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 all that. Um, it, it's a city where really nobody cares about all of that stuff. And it, it's a city where you can just come and uh, be who you are and if you have something there that people get you know find attractive then despite everything you you know you're given that you're you're given some place of your own you know what I mean like you Mm -hmm. can shine yeah Yeah. and so I came to Bombay I didn't know anybody and and for my family they were like oh my god the big bad big bad city of Bollywood but (laughs) Bollywood is nothing not the only thing in Bombay actually what is a common thing in Bombay is that a lot of people come from all over India uh, and they all come with a dream Mm. you know and so it's like like I said it's like New York it's not just like LA of just uh, uh, famous people all over it's also a place where a lot of young people rebellious people are there Mm -hmm. and so and my family was quite amazed that I could come to such a big city and find my own space yeah, you know inc- and it's it's, it's a, like- actually incredible because Mumbai is Massive. so huge I mean it's it- wow it's incredible <laughs> even from my perspective I, I think you're it's so such- brave <laughs> yeah you know back then now when I think about it I would not be able to do it but back then I didn't even think like I was just like oh no I want to go to Mumbai and I just did it it's amazing um, I guess ignorance, you know, you're just like, okay, you don't think that deeply till the end. You just kind of like, okay, I feel like doing this. Let me just do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So going back to Mysore in 2006, it must have been so different culturally for you. What was, was it, mm. what was the most surprising thing for you to be in such a, a simple place like that? I've always had, like, I guess all of us, you know, who love Mysore, all of us, whether we Indians or Westerners, we, like for me as well, I love that mix of 
there's two parts of me you know one is very old school very 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 i love the old indian traditions i love seeing beautiful women in sarees walking on the streets you know i love mm-hmm. that part of india which is very deeply rooted in uh not dogma but in you know what customs. to me is beautiful customs i love that you know i love mm-hmm. the people on this just everything about the street life mm-hmm. is very beautiful to me and aesthetic and artistic and all of that so i love that whole aspect of that old world in mysore and then i've also always loved i guess not glamour but like you know another aspect of india or about the world of just like expressing yourself and being creative and being dressing the way you want to again like maybe coming from a space of rebellion mm-hmm. um so for me i love that aspect of my soul that very sweet sim- simplicity i loved it. it it was always something that i'm always also very attracted to it's it's interesting you know i i um i had heard in that in in uh, mysore and gokulam they have the kannada language that there's um yeah there's no word for <laughs> privacy. Do you think do you think that's true? Do you think that's a real thing? I think it's true all over India the word boundaries maybe. I don't know about privacy but boundaries for sure is uh yeah. It's funny <laughs> It's an it, uncommon word. It's funny <laughs> it because it's un- it's it's funny because there's no such thing as privacy here in Canada either. Um really? everyone everyone here knows everyone else's business. And you, yeah. it's it's you can see it actually. Harmony when she, when she's with her mom, you know, her mom yeah. asks her little questions, and she's just like she goes, dead eyes, one word answers, because <laughs> oh she doesn't want God. everyone. She doesn't want everyone to know because if she tells her mother anything, everyone will know. Everyone. <laughs> and this she, is exactly like me with my family. Sometimes not so much my mom, but the rest of my family. Yeah. One word answers, dead eyes. Yeah, one word. <laughs> It's like trying to be like um, evasive. Yeah, I feel like it's the kind of thing that drives Sharat. It drives him crazy. This thing, like I think he would really prefer to have total privacy, but he yeah he struggles with it. I think I'm pretty sure. I mean, I, this is why, and I I'm pretty sure you guys feel the same way. This is why I have a lot of like um, I don't know. I'm looking for the right word, but. Yeah, he's had a tough, you know, he's he, he's had a challenging life, right? For sure. It's mm-hmm. not been easy for him. He's he's had a lot of challenges his whole life. Mm-hmm. How would you describe your relationship with him? Did, was he aware of of your celebrity, do you think? I think eventually he became <laughs> he became aware of it because I was doing a show on television. Uh on NDTV Good Times, which is a pretty good like channel in India on television. And I asked him for permission. I was like, can I, do you mind if I do this show? Because it's uh, not really Ashtanga, it's Vinyasa and it's gonna be filmed in like kind of a glamorous way or whatever. <laughs> and yeah, go ahead or whatever. And then I remember him watching it one time and he was like, oh my God, what is this? But then I think his neighbors also <laughs> talked about it. And then, oh, and then I taught a really famous Indian actress called Eshwarya Rai. I, have you guys heard of you her? Taught, you taught her? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I know was, her. Oh, my God. Wow. Oh, yeah, I, I taught her for a year. I was her personal trainer. I was traveling with her everywhere. And, oh, my God. Uh, she was, 
she was playing a character in a film um called dhoom 2 and she mm. had to look a certain way and had to have a certain body language or whatever so they they hired me to be her personal trainer for one year and travel with her everywhere so when and that again got a lot of media coverage um you know the press wrote about it a lot because it was really cool in india it was one of the first times that they were hiring somebody to train and have this transformation or whatever wow um so i think his neighbors told him about it and because ashwarya <laughs> is so famous uh, that i think was something which like when he found out i think he was quite pleased about it yeah oh. yeah one of his students is yeah his students yeah teaching yeah. the famous person yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wow. but at the same time you know like i i really love i'm very sincere you know that's yeah. something about me which i know is i don't know if it's it's something that i'm it's very natural for me to be very sincere whatever i do i put my heart and soul and you know i go all out so mm-hmm. i think he sees that in me mm-hmm. and i think he appreciates that quality a lot that mm-hmm. you know that i'm very devoted and i'm very sincere mm-hmm. yeah and i think he loves that in all his students right when he sees that quality in them Definitely. Definitely. Mm. I always yeah. felt like that that both, you know, Patabi Joyce and and Sharat had a keen intuitive sense for like dedication. They just like could feel it. They could like almost smell it in people, you know. Mm-hmm. Um he he it's only quality, you know, because in today's world with social media, mm. um it's very easy for all of us to lose that because there's so much all the time out there so much information so many people that to be sincere and dedicated um sometimes is probably you know it's easy not to have that but i mi- i really love that quality and that's what i miss a lot oh. devotion and sincerity mhm mm. yeah He he only ever said about me that uh, I make everyone laugh and get along with everyone. That's such a beautiful quality for me now that <laughs> you know those those are things that really that I feel like lights people up, right? And we need more of that. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there's enough heaviness everywhere, so I feel like people who can make anybody laugh and who can bring so much joy, I think that's very important. Yeah. I want to ask you just said something really curious about um that you had that the studio wanted her body the actress they wanted her body mm. to look a certain way yeah and so she had to be sort of sculpted and it kind of goes back to that the article that you spoke about with Vogue magazine where they're they're redefining what it means to be beautiful i suppose and it's sort of changing yeah. and And so you said something about um that being muscular could be uh, mm. could be beautiful. Was that um was that something that wasn't popular before? Yeah, before in India I think the aesthetic was more um lean, yeah, I mean not lean but slim and voluptuous. Maybe not muscular. Yeah. That was always kind of considered a little bit more masculine mm-hmm. uh but you know again i don't know if it's got, got to do with social media or because now i feel like the whole world has a similar it's very the cultures are 
because of social media being such a huge influence in the world, a lot is changing right all over the world. Uh, so, but I'm still talking before social media became such a big thing. Mm-hmm. So like being ma- uh, muscular was not so, I mean, not that I'm very muscular, but by Indian standards, you know, having broad shoulders, uh, having yeah. muscular-ish arms is considered muscular. So yeah, it was like <laughs> an, article about, <laughs> it was an article about how the aesthetics are changing and how, uh, you know, beauty is being redefined. So it's not just the cliche aspects of what normally would be considered beautiful in India. It's interesting because you you could almost say that some of the cleaning ladies around Gokulam, they have that physique. They're yeah. trim and they're they have a lot of arm muscles. And so yeah. perhaps it's kind of class based where you know that's you that's not a look yeah. that you're looking for. Yeah. Now it's changed. Now all the mm-hmm. all the girls want to look have strong arms, and mm-hmm. you know now most Indian women want to look strong. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. very radical, actually, isn't it? It is for India. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Also very empowering. It is actually that's exactly what it is for me, um, and I feel I I also noticed that like when I would teach a lot of Indian women like. You know, when I was teaching in Mumbai and I'd have a lot of simple Indian women coming mm-hmm. and, um, you know, when I'm saying simple, I mean, maybe very wealthy, but um, from simple backgrounds. And when they'd come, I remember when they, you know, some of them were being able to manage to do an arm balance, like a Bhujapidasana, they'd get so excited and they'd <laughs> feel forward. I remember there was a woman coming and she was from a a conservative background and you know not very independent and I remember she came and she was able she got into Ashtanga pretty she really got into it and then I remember she ended up going to Kailash Mansarovar which is one of the huge pilgrimage spots in India of Lord Shiva and she says it had a lot to do and she went by herself Oh wow. Um, wow. Without you know her whole family and she I remember her saying to me that this has got a lot to do with her feeling the sense of being empowered through the practice Mm. and you know for a lot of women Indian women that feeling of strength is very empowering yeah that's incredible actually because strength as well yeah yeah like in some you you sometimes don't notice it as much in the west because I think women are um less conservative in their approach it to life and there's just less cultural well, conditioning been, that it's way it's been 50 years yeah. since 1970 you know yeah and that's and it's been happy yeah. so there's there's there've been a lot of bras burned <laughs> yes. in the time yeah. <laughs> but the effects are the same i think that that inner confidence that inner strength mm-hmm. that resilience that you're building like physiologically in your nervous system in your mind in mm-hmm. your body and then how mm. that changes how you are in the rest of your life. It's amazing yeah. to see that in, in a place where there's more of a population that are going to, the effects will be really profound. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Mm. You know, uh, Harmony and I uh, have suddenly realized that we're middle-aged and uh, our middles <laughs> are taking a beating. Um <laughs> 
it's it's very difficult. Um, we're trying to reshape ourselves, and uh, we stand up comedy in the yoga world. <laughs> and um, so we've uh, we've even um, you know we've started to take some extreme measures, which if you know Harmony wants to get into the weird wild, weirdest things that we're doing with our diet and all. Um, but it's funny, um, you know, our child we discovered. Yeah. He's he is I think he I think he listens to us and we found yeah. out that he's been doing a sneaky diet. Really? We, like what yeah. I we think that he's on a sneaky diet and he won't tell us. <laughs> I'm starting to feel like, you know, maybe we're having a bad effect on him. You know, we're we're he's very impressionable and sometimes you can you can take things too far, you know, and, and like what kind of a diet? I'm very curious. Like what is he just eating? He won't protein, eat chocolate. Like, he won't eat chocolate only. anymore, Deepika. Oh no wow, sweets. that's a good thing, but right? he's basically yeah, he's basically like a fruititarian though. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he won't eat anything. He looks at it and I can see the sadness in his eyes, like, no, I don't want it, Dad. <laughs> I think that's a good thing though. I'm concerned, I mean, I'm concerned that, you know, that maybe sometimes we, you know, if, especially if you have a public presence, like say you or, mm. or we have a radio show and you, we can, we can take things too far and encourage people. And then suddenly they have an eating disorder. <laughs> I think, you know, I'm coming from the opposite spectrum, <laughs> uh, opposite side of this. And I noticed that like, I won't get into details of exactly who because I'm pretty sure some of my family might listen to this. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, genetically, Indians are having lots of health issues and um, I don't think uh, it's such a bad thing for people to be a bit self, uh, you know, not, not be wanting to eat chocolate mm -hmm. and wanting to eat like processed food because in India, this is such a huge problem. I, I see it in my own family, you know, like eating tons of processed Mm -hmm. uh, so-called healthy but like coming in packets and this and that so you know it's yeah. like I think it's a good thing but of course like I'm I've always touched food I don't think I've ever had like any major eating problems so for me I love to eat and that's the one thing in my so I used to always find difficult is like not eating dinner at all and just eating only one meal at four o'clock and whatever so for me it's like like I need to eat because I'm Indian. I've always eaten a good dinner. I mm -hmm. cannot sleep if I've not eaten well at night. I, mm -hmm. I mean, not at like 10 o'clock at night, but like maybe it's at least at seven or whatever. So for me, mm -hmm. I've always been the middle path with food. It's thankfully, but yeah, I, yeah. I find it a bit much when people are kind of borderline anorexic or yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's not something that I encourage at all. And I always tell people, you know, this, it's important to eat because it's more for your mind. Mm. We don't want to be having this obsessive mental thing going on. Yeah, I think after uh, I had Jedi, after I gave birth, I really, I really figured that out. I was like, oh, I can practice at any time during the day. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if I ate a half hour ago, I can still practice. It's a little uncomfortable, but I can still yeah. do it. <laughs> 
it's amazing isn't it how many because like earlier i was like oh no i can only practice at this time and i have to be empty i have to be light i have to be motivated i have to be inspired i have to be bendy i have to warm up my back blah 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 and now it's like okay i have half an hour let me just do it even if i just yeah. it's like half an hour 40 minutes okay let me just do it and sometimes it's like okay i know she's going to wake up let me just try that kapodasana right now and it's wow. like because in the past i literally i kid you not i used to warm up for an hour yeah and now it's like my practice is like half an hour 45 minutes or an hour max so I there's definitely that. all of that gone out of the window all that fuss you know that's funny when i i did vipassana once and you'd sit there for like 4 hours and then they give you a break and i would i would go into the closet and i would do kapotasana just really? like that yeah and it was the only time i've ever done it without warming up this is like yeah. oh please i need to do something just yeah yeah your body's so open when you sit and meditate for so many hours That's all true. the yeah. all the mental and, and energetic obstacles go away Wow, it's something I haven't done, and I really feel I need it, and I have to do it at some point. <laughs> Maybe in ten more years, when your daughter's a little older. <laughs> I know. I mean, now it's like whenever she's like when I'm feeding or whatever, I just do like a ten fifteen minute vipassana, or like I put on the Goenka, have the app, and I just yeah, it's perfect. As soon as possible, I do it. Yeah, because I feel like that is the thing I need the most, more yeah. than anything. His voice drives me crazy. She yeah. puts it on at night to go it. to sleep, and it drives me crazy. Would you shut yeah. that guy up? I put uh, it on know, for Jadaya too at night, and he loves it too. It puts him right to he's sleep. He's got a sweet voice, doesn't he? He's got his so cuteness. Sweet. He's like a he's big actually panda. Got cuteness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> But I found another one on uh, YouTube, which is like a half an hour silent one with absolutely no instructions. Not that you need like. to put on youtube to do half an hour of it but it's somehow with that bell and everything i love that one as well it's just like no talking yeah and just like half an hour 15 minutes yeah <laughs> yeah speaking of of taking things too far i <laughs> i wonder did your family <laughs> think that you were taking the yoga too far especially yeah, when you that. when you brought mark home <laughs> my parents have i mean my family is not just my parents it's also my brother who's mm. pretty bossy um so i mean i think that's where my patriarchal issues come from <laughs> yeah. so i my family still thinks i take my yoga too far and for mm. sure when and like i said my dad and mom have been pretty cool so you know when mark came along they were just like oh yeah finally at least somebody because for a while they were like what what can happen and this is my second marriage by the way so no. i was married but yeah really yeah yeah oh. yeah it's just again another rebellious thing i guess oh my goodness Wow, yeah. I, I thought You're Harmony a... and I were the only ones in the room with the yeah, former. Yeah, I've ticked off a lot of the rebellious boxes. Second marriage, not had my uh, child in my twenties and thirties as a good Indian girl should do. Yeah. Um, you know, done a lot <laughs> of things which are not part of the box. Mm. Yeah, when I was thirty years old, uh, Saraswati said to me something like, 
why no children? And I said, uh, yeah. I, you know, it's just not the right time. And then she's like, how old? And I said, 30. Yeah. And she's like, oh, yeah. too old now. Can you imagine? Like by any standards in India, at the age of 43 to have a child is like really crazy. Yeah, for sure. That's amazing, yeah. though. You're yeah. so young in spirit, though. My my brother's it, wife was 43 it, when she had her when she had her first and only child. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's different. It's, it's different. very different in India, yeah. though, too, isn't it? Yeah. It is very strange for most people like they, you know, they're like, what? Most of my friends, their kids are like, you know, like in their 20s now or, or yeah. they look like 50. 18 stuff like that and imagine we're like I've <laughs> just had a baby <laughs> yeah. so it's quite strange for most of my friends yeah so when you told Mark that uh, you were pregnant was he very surprised did he know this was going to happen you know I was surprised more than him because when I didn't get my period for a while or whatever I was thinking oh my god is this like early menopause right? oh, <laughs> for sure yeah. I had I had a gynax appointment for that. And yeah. a friend of mine was like, before you jump the gun and think of early menopause, maybe you should do like a birth control, like do a, a test. Yeah. yeah. Um, like a pregnancy test. Like, a pregnancy test, sorry. Yeah. And I was like, no, it can't be. So she's like, no, no, just, just do it. So I did it. And I was like, what? So I, was, <laughs> I think I was more shocked. And then when I told Mark, he was very surprised. And then there was a friend of ours staying. I don't know if you know him. His name is uh, Sheridan. He was staying with us in Bali. Yes. I know Sheridan. Sheridan. Well. Yeah. yeah he... So he was staying with us in Bali when, you know, when I found out. And when he found out, he was so happy for us. So it went yeah. like from me being shocked to Mark being surprised to Sheridan being like ecstatic. So I think. <laughs> <laughs> so then his emotion rubbed off on us and we like. I was like, first I was horrified. And then when I told him after that, I was like, yay, we're going to have a baby from being Whoa. like, oh my God, like what just happened? Whoa. Well, Sheridan's, he, he's been through it. So he knew, he knew yeah. already the joy and the love and all the, yeah, the good yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> it was good you had him. You had his his support, his exactly. encouragement. Yeah, <laughs> he was his, his joy was so infectious and he was like it's the sweetest thing it's so yummy and this and that and we were like then we got really excited but it must have been such a, a bizarre transformation for you to be a kind of 42 year old rock star to then mm -hmm. being a, a pregnant woman and yeah. um to being a mother I mean, it, it, it must have been something of of a really radical change to how you thought of yourself, to your identity. Yeah, I, the pregnancy emotionally, I mean, it's been emotionally, it's been tough. I must admit, it's not been easy at all mentally for me. And when I say tough, meaning there's, you know, there's always complex emotions, right? We can be feeling unbelievable joy and love and passion at the same time as feeling exhausted and scared and fearful all at the same time, right? So it's been a mix of all of those emotions. So when I found out I was pregnant, I was really pursuing finishing third. I was really <laughs> like, that. my biggest passion was doing a TikTok. I was like, nothing else in the world exists for me. And I was so <laughs> passionate. 
like literally I was like obsessed mm-hmm. you know and the next day I suddenly was like what I'm pregnant I can't do any of this like I've been pursuing this for so long to do this pose and to whatever all these poses and all this stuff and blah 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 so it was very difficult from one day to the next to just suddenly stop mm-hmm. um that was very difficult for me it was mentally very difficult plus I had very bad morning sickness mm. so you know it was very difficult mentally for me um, that's, that's so interesting because that's the same thing that happened to you when you fell off the rock mm, you had to suddenly stop yeah it's true it's true I never thought of the parrot it's true it's the you first time I'm that. actually <laughs> yeah 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 did you did you take the first three months and rest? You know, because I had such bad morning sickness, I didn't have a choice. I just, um, I was doing primary, but I was doing it very like more like a yin practice, like mm-hmm. just the poses with no jumps, nothing. And just like no planks. I mean, no chaturangas, just very super soft Mm-hmm. with absolutely no abdominal contraction or any of that and then the second trimester i was super intensely active mm-hmm. like i was just making up for lost time <laughs> you felt better no more sickness yeah i just felt energy and i felt flexible and i had a lot of i wanted to do a lot of things i had a lot of passion and you know like that mm-hmm. amazing spurt of creative energy as well Mm-hmm. And then the third trimester, it was all about like, I want to have a natural childbirth. So it was like obsessed with, you know, doing everything to make sure that I could have that natural, you know, dream water birth or whatever it was. So then I stopped doing very intense back thens and just, mm-hmm. you know, I just got into it totally like, I guess I'm very goal oriented. So for me, it helps to have something to work towards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You did a lot of squatting. I did a lot of squatting. I did hypnobies and I did like every, it was like a regime. (laughs) My midwife was like, don't worry, it'll happen. You don't have to do all of this stuff. But it was like the whole day schedule, like hypnobabies and meditation and affirmations and like all this. (laughs) (laughs) So that when you came to the birth, did what what happened did it did it help or did it all get thrown out the window it helped because I guess you know like uh, I was doing all this visualization and all everything possible to have a good child natural birth in fact I even have one of those machines because I'd heard that most uh, yoga practitioners have a problem with letting go of the pelvic floor yeah that's right and releasing so I was even doing exercises to let go of Mm -hmm. the pelvic floor yeah um so it all helped it helped like I had a beautiful incredibly empowered you know natural water birth it was powerful and amazing and all of that yeah so it was it, it all helped was it in Hyderabad or in Goa yeah it's amazing you know so we found an amazing midwife like she's such an incredible Indian woman she's doing some amazing work with natural childbirth she's one of the most I would say she's, uh, you know, she's one of the best midwives in India. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's got a very powerful message, you know. So we found her in Hyderabad by chance. It was all amazing. And so 
she has a really small birthing center so we had the baby there um it was magical it was very 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 beautiful incredible yeah i have a in this image in my head of of um being at jayashree's uh house and uh she in um uh jaganmohan near jaganmohan palace and in, in mysore and yeah. um like somehow in her house there was like 15 grandmothers and i don't know how they could all be related but they were all like grandmothers cuz i thought you yeah. could only have two you know but there was like so many and um <laughs> yeah. there was and lakshmi jayashree's daughter had had a baby and yeah. the baby would hang in this basket in the middle of the room mm. and it was it was dead silent in that room and very dark and quiet wow. and all of the grandmothers would sit there dead yeah. silent and quiet not talking and just stare at the baby that's and- very rare Not the grandmothers, but the dead silent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, maybe it was because I was sitting there, and they don't want to talk in front of me. You know. I, I think it know. was bad because so many women all together in India being dead silent is very rare. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I remember my mom actually went there once, and they did talk. They chatted her up the whole time. They'd ask her all kinds of questions about her business and her money and how she how yeah. she was able to travel by herself and that stuff as an old lady. but um yeah i just thought it was amazing like this is really what's wrong with america is that each house doesn't mm. have 13 grandmothers in it <laughs> and if we yeah, did a, then we could take care of babies born. you know yeah yeah no we can't do that yeah we are lucky thankfully in india right now um my family is really helping us a lot so that's we're very i'm so grateful for that Yeah, so, so nice. we do you know my family is very supportive and they're really helping us with Devi and you know my mom and dad everybody loves her so much yeah and sometimes i don't know if this is a woman thing uh how many but i do feel a bit possessive yeah and i have <laughs> problem with giving her away yeah uh, but then when i i see you know it's a struggle because even though i'm indian i do have a western mind um so you know there is an aspect where i feel like i should be the one me and mark should be the ones doing everything for her mm-hmm. but then i see all my everybody around and i know how much they love her and then i'm like okay maybe i need to be a bit soft on myself and not feel like i have to do everything mm-hmm. and so yeah you know so she we have a we have support and it feels it's great even yeah. though like mark and me very hands on we doing pretty much everything ourselves but we do, you know we do have my mom and dad really helping us my uh, devi's in love with my nephew so she you know she my nephew and niece also help out and so she she has like we have support yeah which That's feels wonderful. great are yeah. you all in the same and house get able to take the support no we're in different houses so okay uh, we're in different houses but we go to my parents house and every evening and so they help out a lot mm-hmm. sometimes so nice. mark and me would give her and you know then we can go and do our own practice and stuff like that okay yeah yeah, yeah i think it's very natural as a new you know a new parent to like be possessive and like really feel like you want to do everything but 
it's also just such a blessing to have other people that you trust that are, you know, yeah, love your child uh, almost yeah. as much as you do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's a different one. I don't know for most women if that happens, but like, I guess as Ashtangis, somehow we're used to being a little bit tough on ourselves. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is that something that you guys feel like? being a little bit hard on yourself is almost becomes part of your personality. Yeah. Do you guys really? I think it's something that, that takes a long time to let go of that Mm. Ashtanga guilt or that Ashtanga voice that, you know, always telling you, you need to do more, do it better or more. So I do struggle with, you know, and I heard Dina say this once. And sometimes I feel like I have to really listen to that. Is like, I remember her saying, you know, you can't be good at everything. You're going to have to compromise mm. and be, I, I mean, these are not her exact words, but I remember her really saying something is going to give and you're going to have to compromise. And she was not talking about like motherhood or any of that, mm. but I struggle with trying to be still have an amazing practice and trying to be the best mother I can and trying to be a great daughter and trying to be a good wife and all of this and sometimes it's like you know I just need to chill out a bit on myself because it's not going to be possible to be good at all of this plus trying to work you know yeah, because exactly. two years so it's like um yeah so I struggle with this a lot yeah you have a lot of jobs all of a sudden <laughs> yeah and and from like leading a very self-absorbed life to juggling a lot of stuff is is difficult you know I struggle with that big time Mm -hmm. and family all of a sudden becomes very central and very important especially when you're living close to them and you have a child yeah Yeah, exactly yeah Mm. yeah yeah it's it's disappointing life (laughs) it's um Can I quote you on that? Yeah. Yeah. It's just. No. Well, I. Reworded. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's pointing a little softer word. (laughs) (laughs) That word. Well, I. I, I the very the very nice thing about the domestic life for me is this um I feel suddenly a sense of um that I'm anonymous and I can yeah. I can give up things like I'm going to be a famous painter or a famous yoga teacher uh yeah. or I'm going to make a fortune in business like right yeah. now, I just kind of, I, I putter around as my mother would, this is my mother's expression. I don't even know what it means, but I putter <laughs> around the house and I do a little thing here, a little thing there. And I help Jetty with something or other. Yeah. And I, I move the car into the garage and then my day is finished. <laughs> you know, it's and- beautiful to be like that. You know, I feel like I'm always having this conflict. There's a one part of me that just wants to be at peace, you know, mm. that just wants to be okay with everything. And, and exactly like what you said, like be happy and, you know, at peace with just doing that. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And then there's another part of me which is like, oh no, I have so much to do and I can't give up on this and this and blah, 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 all that, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. eventually, I mean, I want to be 80, 90, whatever and be at peace. I don't know if I want to be 80, 90 and be doing Kapotasana. <laughs> <laughs> like that would be a bit scary if I'm 90 and I still want to do Kapotasana. That would be like a bit strange. But yeah. if I can find, you know, peace of mind, I think for me that is something that I would love it's Mm. something that I feel like I really want to go in that direction of being able to be okay with everything I think you're uh, definitely on the right track of (laughs) balancing the ambition with the simple life (laughs) yeah finding that peace that resides somewhere in the middle of those two things yeah yeah I mean what I want all miss I don't know about you guys but I Mark and me miss this a lot is community you know like we mm-hmm. miss this a lot because mm-hmm. it's very you know like I miss having these kind of conversations a lot yeah, yeah. you know this feeds your soul right and makes you like makes you feel like okay there's so many other people like me whereas right now we feel a little alone both of us because we're kind of just in our little bubble here and Mm-hmm. You know, it's not so many like-minded people around. Well, that was really the most beautiful thing about Gokulam was the mm-hmm. three-hour mm-hmm. lunch or even five-hour yeah. breakfast lunch. <laughs> and yeah. you could just really talk to people and really find out yeah. all about them. And those the relationships that we all formed together there and then yeah. have, you, they still they still remain you know, we can call yeah. someone up like yourself and it's like, oh yeah, it's just like being back there now. Yeah, it's, you know, strange because now as you say that, that's what I recognize that first moment. Uh, not the first moment, but when I was in Mysore and I would wait on the steps yeah. back in 2001 because there was not so many other Indian girls like me who wanted, who were seeking so desperately the spiritual life mm-hmm. or oneness, whatever the word was. And at the same time, you know, we wanted to dance like crazy and be wild. And there was not so many women I met or people, not just women, who I met like that, who wanted both. Mm -hmm. And who thought, you know, it was was not not spiritual to dress up in a certain way. That you didn't have to wear like (laughs) conserved white kurtas and just have beads in your hand. And that was spirituality. (laughs) Spiritual to dance like um, it was spiritual to do whatever you wanted, you know, all of that was all the same. So when I went to Mysore and I saw that, you know, sitting on those steps waiting for my turn, is that's what I recognized that there's this bunch of other people who are similar. And I miss exactly that now, mm-hmm. that kind of other people who are similar and not just virtually, because of course you can see a lot of people online and all of that, but I miss that community a lot. Fellowship. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's interesting yeah. too. I think when you have a child, it's it's a little bit different too. You kind of enter a slightly different phase, especially when you have a young child that is very yeah. insular and it is very um, you know, you're in your own little bubble and yeah, and it's like a little cocoon that, you know, eventually you kind of start to come out of like a butterfly again (laughs) wow when does that happen (laughs) i think when you take them to the park and you meet the other moms (laughs) oh this is 
weekend would be missed because we don't have you know like we so isolated here of course my family is mm-hmm. there you is like 12 but you know devi doesn't see other babies her age around and we don't have mm-hmm. a park to go to like yeah. that so this is the thing that mark and me are really missing yeah 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 and it's so challenging cuz you had your baby during covid exactly yeah oh, intense it was yeah. intense yeah you know it's strange cuz i was in the middle of like intense labor cuz my midwife had said don't come till the contractions are just like 5 minutes uh, apart and don't come till you really feel like it's just you know the peak don't come oh my god she was particular and so mark was driving me to the you know the birthing center and uh, it they had stopped traffic firstly there was nobody on the streets because it was a lockdown in right. um, in a uh, height of lockdown so i had a certificate saying i'm pregnant whatever i mean it was pretty obvious but still i had a certificate <laughs> <laughs> to show that you know i'm like going for uh, to give birth and so even though there was nobody on the traffic suddenly the cops just stopped us and i'm in the middle of like my peak like contractions and i had to we had to stop because some tra- guy was checking everybody's like so i don't know what was going on but basically right. we had to stop for like 10 minutes and i was like like telling mark oh gosh i think i'll just walk <laughs> <laughs> it was intense it was like really really intense I would have been losing my mind. I would have been yelling at the person who had pulled <laughs> pulled the not, car over. <laughs> it doesn't take you much to start yelling at someone in the first place. So yeah. It was like you might mm. done all this hypno babies and <clears throat> in hypno babies they tell you like it's fine, it's not pain, it's just a contraction, it's just vibrations. Don't say it's pain all this kind of stuff, you know they uh all this hypno suggestions mm-hmm. so in my head i kept saying oh no it's not pain it's just a sensation meanwhile the other as part of my brain is like ah i want to just scream <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny <clears throat> i know i'm going ahead of time but like it was so funny because like i said i take everything i do so sincerely so we were doing this hypno babies course right that keeps saying don't say it's pain it's just a sensation mm-hmm. so every time my midwife would say once the contractions and the pain starts i was like oh no 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 it's not pain it's not pain it's just a sensation don't use that word and she was like <laughs> okay i don't know what you're thinking but it's going to be painful she <laughs> 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 was very girl you know. she's like i don't 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 add all your spiritual bullshit in here. It's going to be painful. <laughs> She didn't want you to have any misconceptions. No, no spiritual <laughs> yeah. bullshit will be the title of this uh, of this uh, podcast, madam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can dedicate mm. it to her. She's definitely a no spiritual bullshit kind of person. Excellent. <laughs> She told me I can see her a bit high strung, but. just believe just know that it's going to be painful i want you to just accept this it's like okay <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. wow well deepika we just want to thank you so much for your generosity thank and you. thank you i've show. had such a time chatting with you both yeah it's oh. uh, yeah. loved You're... it and you're back to teaching online i saw some classes with um yeah. 
Yeah. Wh- which studio is it with again? So one of them is with a studio in Mumbai mm-hmm. um, called Pe. And uh, then I'm teaching with the Himalayan Yoga Valley. I think they're based in Ireland and Goa. And Wonderful. I'm, yeah. And I'm it's... not so thing because it's still very difficult right now with Devi's schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm doing a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. People can find all of this information of where to come and practice with you on your website, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still updating. Yeah, I, I want to could... say the tiger print leotard that you're wearing is spectacular and everyone should go onto the website to see it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think my baby girl got all her uh, little Durga vibe from was all my tiger animal print tights. I think that's <laughs> probably true. <laughs> got a lot of fierce energy from that for sure. <laughs> and can you tell everyone what your website is? Yeah, it's uh, www.tipikamehta, D-W-E-P-I-K-A-M-E-H-T-A.in. Perfect. And we'll have a link in our show yes, notes anyway. But... Your story yeah. is so inspiring, madam. Thank you so much. Thank you both. Thank you so much. I had a great time. Thank and you. We're looking forward to the time when we get to come and see both you and Mark and your yeah. sweet you little girl. Be- <laughs> you guys can babysit. The other <laughs> I'd love you to. You can go out. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow, watching the breaking.